Thank you for investing your time in a Duncan's From the Field podcast series. We hope you are getting a ton of value from each episode. Today's episode is pulled from a recent podcast we did with Mike Baker of the Awesome Wholesaler Experience podcast. We hope you enjoy. What separates the best from the rest has little to do with someone's technical ability in terms of how well they manage money and how good of a financial planner they are. What really elevates someone is their ability to create a client experience and the ability to attract and keep great clients. Some of the Templeton wholesalers from Toronto went to San Mateo and put me on the radar in the US. You fast forward to today, we created what is called the Wholesaler of the Future process. And we've developed and refined an approach for advisors to use to run their business and drive enterprise value and secure clients. So today, 90% of my business is done in the United States, but it's just incrementally grown because of that momentum. Well, wholesalers reality, typically 80% of their business will come from 20% of their clients. But what's really fascinating is what I want to see a wholesaler do is allocate 80% of their time on the 20% of the clients who generate 80% of the business. There's a great philosophy that says that it's more important to reach people who count than to count the number of people you're reaching. They say that wholesalers are doomed, that we no longer provide any value to financial advisors or their clients, and that the regulatory industry and the readily available information on the internet have made us all but outdated, unnecessary, and obsolete. Well, I disagree. I think that wholesaling is full of hope and value, and that our very salvation as wholesalers lies within each one of us and our ability to connect with and serve those financial advisors that are truly worthy of our great contributions. My name is Awesome Mike, and each week I seek out individuals that are changing wholesaling, people that are living and thinking in a different way. Their stories will challenge your beliefs, make you question your choices, and just perhaps inspire you to change. Join me on this mission, and let's make the job, the career, and the lifestyle of wholesaling something that we can all be proud of once again. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Awesome Wholesaler Experience Podcast, where we look into the many facets of your job, your career, and your lifestyle as an awesome wholesaler. I'm your host, the creator of the Awesome Wholesaler Experience, and yours truly, Awesome Mike. Hey, everyone. Our guest today is a very special guy. He's an icon in the business, in the industry, none other than the one, the only Duncan McPherson. Duncan is the CEO of Pareto Systems, an industry-leading business development firm dedicated to elite professionals and companies within the knowledge-for-profit sector. Now, Duncan and his team of consultants, now they work with professionals in a wide range of fields, including financial services, insurance, accounting, legal, mortgage, consulting, all these different industries to create predictable, sustainable, and duplicatable or duplicatable businesses. Now, Pareto Systems is well known for its approach, which is based on 
best practices and for its focus on implementation. Now, Duncan is also an industry author and has written two best-selling books, Breakthrough Business Development, Take Your Business to the Next Level, and the recently released The Advisor Playbook. Achieving a business breakthrough is done by design, not by luck or chance. Duncan offers a clear plan to take your business to the next level. Beyond the office, Duncan loves spending time with his wife and two sons, and they enjoy the Four Seasons playground they call home in beautiful Kelowna. I think I'm saying that right. Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. He enjoys staying active with recreational activities such as golf, tennis, and skiing. Welcome to the show, Duncan. And I enjoy your from-the-field broadcasts, my friend. So tell us, where is your favorite location, Ben, for your show from the field? Well, first of all, Mike, thanks very much for having me on. And yeah, I've been looking forward to this for quite a while and I enjoyed our conversation leading up to this. And in fact, you're referencing the advisor playbook. I appreciate plugging that. Ironically, I co-wrote that book with someone who used to be a wholesaler. That's Chris Jepson. And he's now um, a head of uh, advisory and practice management at First Trust Portfolios. But he was a very effective wholesaler uh, back in the day. So that gives us a very good window in terms of my interactions with advisors and wholesalers as well as his. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. So when I look at these beautiful locations that you're broadcasting from, envy would be the proper word. Where, where do you like to go, though? You mentioned uh, <laughs> the city streets of Detroit and Greektown Casino all the way up to the beauty of, of Whistler. Where do you like to go? I have been to Detroit many times and uh, enjoyed the culinary offerings from Greektown. It's a very special place. Obviously, uh, hockey in Detroit and around that part of the world is fantastic as well. Probably my favorite place to have visited. I didn't actually do a from the field there, though, but that would have been uh, Cape Town, South Africa, in and around South Africa, Stellenbosch and areas like that were pretty special. And I did work with advisors there. But yeah, the fun of the field's fun because I get inspired to do those based on my conversations with financial professionals and wholesalers. So that's where the inspiration comes from. They are jam-packed full of great content and they're very entertaining. So congratulations on that and keep them going, please. You know, you've had quite an experience in this business. Can you take us back even further? Can you can you tell us, you know, how Duncan grew up and came to be who you are today, the CEO of a major uh, company like you are? How'd you get started? Yeah, completely accidental. I was in a different business altogether. I had a marketing firm and a number of my clients were financial advisors. And I had a friend who was doing quite well in the business. And I asked him a question. I said, so, so how much money do you make? And he told me, and I just about fell off my chair. And I jokingly said to him, I said, wow, I mean, you make this much money and it scares me how little you know about financial planning. And I was just kidding because he's a pretty sharp guy. But then he said to me, you know, it's interesting. And you have to remember, this is almost 25 years ago. He said that what separates the best from the rest has little to do with someone's technical ability in terms of how well they manage money and how good of a financial planner they are. He said, what, what really elevates someone is their ability to create a client experience and the ability to attract and keep great clients. 
Now that's 25 years ago. That's pretty common today. Everybody understands that. But back then I'm thinking, wow, I, that, I never thought of it like that. And coincidentally, I had just read around that time, Michael Gerber's book, The E-Myth, where he talked about the difference between working in your business and working on your business. And so it all just sort of aligned. And he and I started talking about my ideas that he could apply to his business. And you have to remember something, Mike. Back then, I mean, I scarcely knew what a mutual fund was, but I had some fundamental awareness for client acquisition and best practices and marketing and things like that. The ideas I gave him worked and my philosophy aligned with his, my ideas resonated. So he started waving my flag. The word got out. This was actually in Canada back then. And then I had a breakthrough in 97 because you remember when Franklin bought Templeton, some of the Templeton wholesalers from Toronto went to San Mateo and put me on the radar in the U.S. You fast forward to today, we created what is called the Wholesaler of the Future process. And we've developed and refined an approach for advisors to use to run their business and drive enterprise value and secure clients. So today, 90% of my business is done in the United States, but it's just incrementally grown because of that momentum. Yeah, that's a terrific story. A great, I would dare to say, an American dream kind of a story. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. I will say, though, the, the name of your company, Pareto, has its origin well, well beyond uh, you or I. And the simple 80-20 rule is kind of a layman's way to say it. But can you tell us a bit about you know, how you've used that rule, the principle, to develop your systems? And then if you would, maybe you can talk about it in the language of a wholesaler. You know, We understand that the, the advisor has, a, has the um, ability to have an 80-20 client relationship. But how do you see wholesalers using that, that principle effectively? Yeah, I like that context. And, and first of all, the backdrop on Pareto systems, as you said, inspired by the Pareto principle. Now, first of all, Vilfredo Pareto was an Italian economist. Some people would call that a contradiction in terms, but fair enough. <laughs> but said it. back a long time ago, yeah, a long time ago, he identified that 80% of the land was owned by 20% of the people. Okay, so you fast forward to a wholesaler's reality. Typically, 80% of their business will come from 20% of their clients. But what's really fascinating is what I want to see a wholesaler do is allocate 80% of their time on the 20% of the clients who generate 80% of the business in a methodical, structured, sequential manner. Now, that's common sense. It's not always a common practice because wholesalers are traveling, they're busy, they're at events, they're running their territory, and ultimately, they are trying to attract new business. Subconsciously, what ends up happening, they end up spending 80% of their time on the 80% of their clients who generate 20% of the business, or they're spending time trying to sift out real prospects from the mass of suspects, but sometimes they can end up mistaking movement for achievement. Now, here's what's interesting, Mike. We all have 24 hours in a day. Nobody has an edge on us there. So it's not even about time management. It's about time allocation. So if you think of Michael Gerber's mantra of working on the business, I want to make sure 
that a wholesaler understands and deploys the essence of compounding and incrementalism and allocates consistently time with the most meaningful relationships they have. Because ultimately, you want to get out of the transactional world where you're pumping up this leaky tire. You want to create advocacy where you've got these advisors who are out there waving your flag, singing your praises. So I know you need to spend time out there convincing people. I just don't want that to come at the expense of the people who are already convinced, Mm. who can, in fact, go out and convince people on your behalf. Yeah, that's well said, Duncan. And uh, one technique that I've that I've employed myself and used with decent success is that I will spend individual meeting time with the 20 percenters. My, my top 20% of advisors that give me 80% of my business, they get the individual meetings. They get my attention and effort, but I, I don't want to neglect the other 80% of which some of my future 20 percenters will come from. So I simply see those folks in group. And I do them multiple ways, whether it's a a group luncheons or webinars and the such. So I I appreciate the 80-20 principle as well as your systems that are there. You know, I'd like to ask you in detail about one of your latest comments. You said essentially that those that like you the most need you the least. Can you explain that a little bit more for us, please? Yeah, for sure. And I'm actually going to connect it to our our previous sort of thought to hook up with what you were saying there, okay? There's a great philosophy that says that it's more important to reach people who count than to count the number of people you're reaching. Hmm. And your comment about one-to-one allocation and one-to-many allocation The beauty here is that you're able to project a little bit of scarcity. And if you think about it, you've got, you've got three addressable audiences. You've got those who deserve you on one end. On the other end, you've got those who need you. And then in the middle, you've got those who are sort of the movable middle. There's some upside. There's potential. Hmm. Okay. So if you think of the the people who deserve you, these are the people who bring the lion's share of value to your life and your business. And look at the word deserve. It stems from the Latin words to serve, relationship management. Now, this might not impact your next paycheck, but allocating time to the most deserving in creative, innovative, consistent ways, competitor proofs, it captures new business and it creates advocacy. So now you've got this sales team out there stirring the pot for you. Now that, again, it's not conducive to instant gratification, but it's powerful. And that requires, based on relationship management, consistent one-to-one time. The, the, the people who need you, these are the people who have the ability to do business. And y- you, you've got a connection, but they haven't stepped up. So they haven't gone from intent to consent. So you want to show the people who need you how to deserve you, but be efficient with your time. So that's one-to-many, like you said, with group and things like that. And then that movable middle, those are the people who've dabbled with you. They've done a little bit with you. Now what you need to do is show them what it can look like to convert from sort of a customer that dabbles to a client that really empowers you and and paint a picture and set expectations for rules of engagement for how this relationship can really be accretive 
and win-win. So, so what I really like is, is getting clear on the addressable audiences, get clear on how you're going to allocate time, be forthright with all of your addressable audiences in terms of what their client experience is going to be like, and then just keep your head down and stay consistent with that activity. I know that sounds kind of theoretical, but the wholesalers I know, and not just wholesalers, but any knowledge for profit professional who doesn't want to come off as a broker, these people are crystal clear on allocation and they're really bought into cause and effect. They understand that good consistent activity will lead to productivity. It's inevitable. Yeah, just wanted to to make that connection, Mike, because I think that's philosophically sound. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I try to live that. It is a worthy goal to strive for that proper time allocation and that connection. You know, I was re- doing some uh, reading on a post you set out, and you identify, and I believe this might even be in your new book, the three keys to cracking the code, and in particular, mm-hmm the wealth management, practice management, and relationship management processes. Could you tell us a little bit about those three? Yeah, for sure. So the symbol here, the metaphor is that to unlock your full potential, think of it like a combination lock. Mm -hmm. And what are the three numbers that you got to dial in? Well, the first obviously is you got to have the goods. Like you got to have the core competency. You got to have the credentials. You got to be representing solid solutions. But those solutions are commoditized. And if if you're living and dying by that sword, well, now what happens is your clients drift into a pattern where they fixate on products, pricing, and performance. And a lot of that's out of your control. So that's not proprietary. Ideally, the best relationship is with a client that says, okay, I know you've got the technical ability. I know your firm is solid. But what else? What differentiates you? Well, that's the second and third number in the combination. So the second number is the client experience. It's the practice management process. It's not promissory on performance. It's what it means to be my client and what that looks like, how reactive I am, how I respond to you and how proactive I am. And the ability for me to really differentiate and elevate myself from all of the others out there vying for your business. And then those two can make you referable. Like if you've got the goods and you create a client experience that's professional and consistent, well, that makes you referable. The third number converts referability into actual referrals because that's the relationship management process. That's your ability to articulate your value and to communicate with people so that they actually understand and appreciate your value. They can internalize it. They can socialize it to someone else. And it just basically to define that, like marketing's what you say, branding's what they hear and then say about you to someone else when you're not there. So how are you described by your best advisors to the advisors in their branch or to the advisors in their conference that they're attending or to the advisors they meet at a golf tournament or whatever the case may be? You know, how referable are you based on the value added you bring that people actually value? So that's what that cracking the code is. And I know that sounds a little sort of theoretical, but this is engineered. It's by design. It's a process. You know, it's next level stuff. I think it's sophomoric 
when I hear wholesalers out there saying that so and such as product just has a better, you know, widget and and that's why they can't keep up with the sales. I think that your explanation here, you know, is clear and it's actually very simple. But once you get past what you do, now you can actually professionalize the experience and then essentially articulate the value using what what you phrased as stewardship rather than salesmanship. Duncan, that's next level stuff, man. That's words of wisdom. So I appreciate you saying that. What I'd like to ask you well, now. Well, and if I, sorry to cut you off there, but if I could just chime in on that, like yeah. this is what's going to separate the best from the rest in the next five years as commoditization really sinks in. And, you know, you think about an advisor that's gone to, to advisory and fee-based and wants to create that recurring revenue and still be fee-worthy so that clients focus on what he's worth, not what he costs. Hmm. I would like a wholesaler to think in terms of recurring revenue. And how does that happen? How can it be that you're not out there all the time hunting and gathering, eating what you kill, pumping up that leaky tire? It starts with a mindset. And the mindset is that at the end of the day, what you provide is bought, not sold. Like I know a wholesaler is out there I mean, they're getting after it and, and they're creating awareness, they're creating interest, they're creating trust, they're creating action based on their activity. But I believe the value of a relationship begins after a transaction. Where can it go from there? Can there be a greater degree of empowerment? Can there be advocacy? A good wholesaler, you might get five referrals where, a, where an advisor calls you and says, hey, my buddy told me I've got to talk to you. Well, if you got five in the last 12 months, you can get 25. I'm telling you right now, like that's self-fulfilling. And that's what recurring revenue can look like where people are starting to call you buying what you're offering. You're not out there always selling what you're offering. That's powerful. That is the promised land. And I've been fortunate to experience some of that in my career to where my group of guys are all at financial advisors. I'm not sure if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but I happen to be much better with a nine millimeter than I am a nine iron. And when I'm in town, we go to the gun range and I have the complete attention, <laughs> borderline friendship with these advisors based on much more than just the particular product offering. And so I appreciate you saying that. And I think it's a, a worthy goal. You know, it's a Stephen. Well, Covey. I, I got, sorry, I got to do it again. I got to cut you off again because you, you mentioned Whistler. Yeah. And you probably saw that video where I talk about the difference between attracting and chasing, right? hundred yep, percent. And that's exactly, that's exactly what you're talking about. The best wholesalers, the best in any field of endeavor in business, they attract attractive clients by making themselves more attractive than their competitors. If you buy into that philosophy, how can you make that a reality? Well, it's by design, as you said. So I, I love your slogan there about the nine <laughs> millimeter versus a nine iron. That's very memorable. And you're, yeah, you're right. I've, I've been to events in a gun range myself. And I mean, you can feel the adrenaline, right? I mean, it's just, it's a powerful environment. Yeah. So that's cool. I'm glad that's part of your uh, niche. Well, thanks. I, you know, I, I spent 12 years in the Army infantry beforehand, so I'm very familiar and comfortable with firearms. And, I, and for the wholesalers that are listening to, even financial advisors, one little difference when you use a gun range event is that there is an element of danger there. And mm -hmm. when you show 
competency. People transfer your competency to other things. If you are a great golfer and you're able to display that, the people that you're golfing with, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're good at a lot of things. And it works the other way too. If you're terrible, when I go to golf, you know, they accuse me of landscaping most times because <laughs> I'm hacking <laughs> down the weed. Yeah. So, but they, now that clients also transfer that inability to other things as well. So it's important that you're, mm-hmm. and with the gun range, you know, you could actually, uh, you know, guns are used to kill things. So it adds that air of danger, which then allows my advisors or, or, and, and or their clients to really just trust me more because in the moment of danger, I showed up competent, cool, calm and collected and capable. So a little side note on the, uh, the gun range thing. Um, well, and it's interesting. I've actually told my kids that and I don't know if you're going to validate this, but I told my kids that the reason why a soldier is right out of the gate told to shine his boots and make his bed and take care of his gun is to instill that in- attention to detail. And you're right, that attention to detail and that competency in a tension relieving activity can be ported over to a goal achieving activity. Like if I'm an advisor and I'm with you in a gun range and I see your competence and attention to detail and you take nothing for granted, I connect the dots myself, even subconsciously, that you're going to treat my relationship with the same level of detail. That's That's a very powerful uh, observation you're making there. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And unfortunately, I learned it the hard way because I demonstrated how much practice I need on the golf course. You know, it's a frustrating environment to be. So with anything you can practice, if I spent 12 years on the PGA, you know, a caddying or something, I'd probably be much better with a nine iron. You know, we, we're talking about kind of best practice stuff that's out here. You know, Duncan, life is not always rosy, as you know, or I should say maybe the roses have some thorns. What are some maybe pitfalls or traps or failures that you've seen some wholesalers experience that maybe from your point of view that we could avoid or, or you know, learn from others experiences before we repeat them? Well, boy, oh boy, that's, that's a pretty uh, wide ranging area there. You, you, can leave um, the, I think, you can leave the names out if you don't want to embarrass anyone. <laughs> well, you know, in any environment, whether it's wholesaling, business of any kind, athletics, I mean, any profession, there's examples and there's warnings, right? So there's examples of how to conduct yourself. There's warnings of what not to do. The most amazing thing I've seen in terms of a pattern amongst the elite of any field of endeavor is that they are serious students. The clay is soft. They don't believe their own hype. You said it, my little theme there that the people who like us the most need us the least. It, it, it shocks me. The caliber of advisor that would hire us to help them do better. And I say to them, look, I'm going to get more out of this relationship than you will. And they laugh and they say, it's all good. Like, I I just don't want to ever think that I'm going to plateau or get complacent. I know I can raise the bar and it starts with me. I've said to my kids, the best 10 two-letter words in order are, if it is to be, it is up to me. Okay, so it starts from within self-responsibility. What can I do? If I want better results, it's got to come from within. What can I do? If you start by just owning the concept of being a serious student, 
yeah, you want to work, outwork everybody, but you don't want to get into this pattern where you're cutting down a tree with a hammer. Hmm. You know, that's just not a good use of time symbolically. So if I could pinpoint something that I've seen, it's, yeah, work ethic and all of that, but being that serious student, because everything's a study, like value added, that's a study. Relationship management, practice management, it's a study. And all the books have been written. So I would probably go there first because that's a thread I see that is woven through my favorite people in business at the very highest level. Those are words of wisdom. And in fact, yeah, I do validate that the military does accentuate on the details and it, it becomes a habit. I still roll my socks and T-shirts and underwear and fold my, my, my dresser drawer looks, you know, inspection ready. Not because of any kind of um, obsessive component. Well, maybe a little bit, but, but because it's, <laughs> it's calming. When I look at my AO, area of operation, everything is dress right dress. And it gives me mental clarity. There's no mental clutter. There's no strings left. I can actually focus at a higher level. I learned that by studying. I learned that by continuing to, to grow. You talk about Gerber and, you know, in his story, he talks about, you know, sharpen the saw. Covey, mm-hmm. Covey does that a, a bit as well. And Gerber talks about, hey, we want to make sure that we're, uh, we're leaning against, you know, we're, we're chopping down stuff. We're leaning against the right tree to chop down as well. And, and you can't get that if you get stuck in first gear. I think a lot of wholesalers are so eager to get after it that they, they end up living in quadrant one where everything is a fire. Everything is urgent. Everything is important. And they never really reach those mm-hmm. higher, higher levels. You know, for a top advisor to take time out, to hire you, to hire your company, to help them get to the next level is very, it's a very humble act. They're essentially saying, I don't know everything. Please teach me what you know. And I think you're right. If you close your mind off to that as a, you know, as a sophomoric feeling, like you know everything already, or that won't work for you. So I appreciate you saying that very much. You know, one thing. Well, let's, 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 let's close that loop for a second. So you see, so let's run with the metaphor about sharpening the saw and then the reactive and the firefighting. To drill down on that, a lot of people say they don't have time because they're so busy. And of course, like busy doing what? And if it's mostly reacting to the urgent and neglecting the important, as Covey would say, mm-hmm. well, that's like, that's like the lumberjack saying, I'm too busy cutting down trees. I don't have time to sharpen my axe, if you think about that. And, and your point about your attention to detail, that is hardwired. It took time for that to happen. But here's what's interesting, okay, Mike? So yesterday, I'm in Palm Springs doing a mastermind session, full-day mastermind. There's some pretty serious horsepower in that room. And I said to them, there's some people in this room who make $1,000 an hour. Every hour, every business day, every business hour, they're making 1000 bucks an hour. So for somebody to get on a plane and fly to Palm Springs and then to sit through a mastermind session for a day, Notwithstanding the hard cost, the soft cost, that cost them 15 grand to do that. $15,000 in soft costs and lost opportunity. But that's not how they look at it because they don't look at it as everything in terms of return on investment. There's return on energy and there's diminishing returns to just reacting and firefighting and, and working hard. You've got to detach. You've got to step back and assess and do those mid-course corrections to see how we can get a little bit more efficient, how we can refine and optimize what we do and come back with a sense of rejuvenation and renewal. 
So that's a very good point. I'm glad you're a fan of the seven habits as well as Gerber, because those are absolutely cornerstones of personal and professional development. You know, Duncan, I appreciate you saying that. And ironically, whenever, of course, Stephen Covey's passed away, rest in peace, but whenever, yeah. whenever Gerber and Covey and I got together, it was not good because we all go to the same barber. So everyone always thought that the Blue Man Group was in town. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but I will tell you one other thing too. Now, there, there are two, I guess, pitfalls that I feel wholesalers and probably advisors as well fall into with this fire stomping activity barrage and without the sharpening. And the first one is what I call short-term accomplishment gratification, short-term accomplishment gratification. If you have to answer that email or if you need to call someone such back or you need to check your LinkedIn page, whatever it is, you do it, it's quick, it's over, you actually get this chemical response that you've accomplished something. So you actually mm -hmm. feel like you've done something. So you feel good. So then you repeat the process and it allows you to just spin your wheel, spin your wheel, spin your wheel, doing easy tasks that give you this feeling of accomplishment. That's the first thing that, that people can get sucked into a time trap. The second one, though, is probably more deadly. The second one is that because a person doesn't have enough self-confidence or self-esteem or self-value, they get the value out of feeling like they are so busy. I have so much to do. I am so important. I have so much responsibility. So they, they self-sabotage themselves by loading their plate with as much activity as possible in an effort to compensate for their own lack of real self-value. It takes a very confident person to say no to something. A person that says, hey, you know what? I'm not the best person to do that, or I don't have enough uh, time to allocate properly, that's, that's a very mature thing to do, a very difficult thing to do. Some of us fall into this trap of trying to be busy for busyness sake because it makes us feel good, whether it's the short-term gratification or it's from you know, feeling responsible and feeling the busiest of the bees. So two, two things to watch out for. Hey, I appreciate your time, Duncan. I have a couple quick questions for you. These are my signature questions. You know, one more before we go there. You mentioned technology and you mentioned evolution of wholesaling. How do you see the integration of technology, both maybe helping and or hurting wholesaling in the coming future? Yeah, it's a pretty enlightened question. I mean, first of all, I'll start with the hurting. I will remind everybody that the more technology creeps into our lives, the more the human touch matters. I mean, technology is powerful. I mean, it help you buy time. I mean, it's like going from a hammer to a nail gun in terms of efficiency. But the digital can seduce us into forgetting that if you think of AI, artificial intelligence, don't forget the EI, the emotional intelligence, the behavioral management. Technology doesn't make us feel the same way the human touch makes us feel. Like, for example, I know some wholesalers. They're absolute maniacs at two things, sending out handwritten cards, birthdays, relationship anniversaries, Thanksgiving cards, little recognition. You know, so the advisor's Irish. So, okay, St. Patrick's Day card goes out. The advisor likes something. So, so there's, there's always a focus based on their family occupation or recreational interests in those cards. And they're consistent hmm. in doing that. And, you know, it has nothing to do with performance, has nothing to do with the quality of the product, anything. It's just, hey, I'm paying attention. And the second thing is the call rotation. 
best wholesalers I know, they will call the 20% who do 80% of the business every 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, depending on their reality. But it's consistent. It's like clockwork. They're not trying to sell anything. They're not trying to be a bearer of any profound news. They are touching base. And they are consistently relentless at doing this. And they understand that these things compound. Now, technology can support those two things. Obviously, your client relationship management system is very, very powerful in terms of populating. Okay, today you're sending out these three cards. Today you're making these three phone calls. And here's the thing. You have to carve out an hour a day where you tune out the world to make sure that this never falls through the cracks. And here's the last thing I'm going to say, Mike, unless and until you show the world that you value your time, nobody else will value your time as much as they should. So how do you do that? How do you project some scarcity and create appreciation for your approach to best practices? I want your emails at the bottom to say, I respond to emails every day between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern every day. If your matter's urgent, please contact so-and-so. At the end of your voicemail, I'd like it to say, I respond to phone calls between 4 and 5 p.m. every single day. If your matter's urgent, please contact so-and-so. Now, what that says is, I don't react, okay? I'm too busy running my business like a business to sit there waiting for the phone to ring or waiting to react to these random spasmodic emails. Now, I know some of those emails are urgent and you'll still look at them and you'll still cherry pick them, but show the world from a congruency perspective that you do what's important. Now, you can also go one step further and tell your top relationships, look, you've got the bat line, okay? There's a red phone under a glass jar, okay? You deserve instant reaction to an issue. I know you'll never abuse this. I know you're professional. So if you ever text me, I will respond if it's urgent. But if it's not urgent, then I tend to respond to phone calls and emails at this time. Now, some people roll their eyes when they hear that and they say, that's just ridiculous. Okay, you live by the rules you set. But I'm telling you, when you project to the world, you run the business like a business, the level of respect that you engineer goes up. Anyway. Yeah, that's, you know, my one of my old internals, she taught me that very well. She said, very clear to me, Baker, she uh, virtually slapped me over the head over the phone. She said, people will treat you how you train them to treat you. And she's right. If, if you're there, if you're the dog at the door, you know, for any beck and call, that decreases your value in that person's eyes because it's obviously that you're not valuable. So I appreciate you saying that. I think that the words at the bottom of the email, at the end of the voicemail, outgoing message, they are actually comforting because then that advisor knows that you are a serious business professional. They know when they can expect the return call. And it really, it really provides a lot of peace and warmth to the relationship as well. So I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm a big fan of using those CRMs to trigger. Uh, you even mentioned it. Maybe I learned it from you, the business anniversary. Like what, like people mm -hmm. all kinds of anniversaries. So how about the first investment that you ever did 
for my for a company that I work for. You know, that's a pretty significant day. That's just for me and you. That's there's no, you know everyone has Thanksgiving or or whatever, but nobody's gonna give them a card on that day except for me. So I appreciate appreciate that. Hey, let me transition, Duncan, quickly. I have a couple of signature questions. I appreciate your answer to them. First one is, what advice would you give to yourself at 25 years old? If you could talk to the 25-year-old Duncan McPherson, what, would you, what advice would you give him? Wow. You know, it's powerful. When I look back on life, like every negative thing that's happened in my life was not misfortune. It was misjudgment. It was an error in judgment. And so I would probably say, don't believe your own hype, be optimistic, but have a little bit of healthy paranoia in your scenario planning and follow some time-tested principles. Don't try to prove them wrong. If they've worked for somebody else, adopt them and deploy them. Yeah, you know, I, I, if I thought about that, I'd probably come up with more, but that's probably where I, if I could go back in time, what I'd say to myself. Those are very wise words. You know, it's amazing, the whole concept of two, two ears and one mouth, you know, and, and at, at 25 years old, it sometimes seems like the ears are, you know, really small. <laughs> so hopefully there's yeah. uh, someone that can get some, some great value out of, out of those words. I, I, I surely did. The last signature question that I'll ask you, and this is a, it's going to be funny hearing it from you. Funny in a good way. Duncan, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? And what would you do with it? Huh. You're already a superhero, my friend, but if you could have another superpower, <laughs> what would it be? Well, I just read Jordan Peterson's book, The 12 Rules of Life. Yes. Very good book. And what really, among other things, stood out for me was the difference between what to think and how to think. Hmm. And I've spent a lot of time focusing on what to think, but I've never really thought about how powerful it is. I think it's a superpower to think. Because I think the energy inside is, is incredible. Like when an idea goes viral, that's a superpower. So I think if I could really learn how to think and translate that into results, I mean, how high would, I mean, how high is high? I mean, I think it, it'd be limitless. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That's the first I've heard of that one, being able to truly learn how to think, not just what to think. I think that's, you know, it sounds like you're um, probably an excellent father and I would endeavor to be a good father myself. So some of my activity is to try to help my kids learn how to think as opposed to just tell them what to think. And it's actually very, I think it's very uh, humble to do that, to not say, hey, here's the way things are, you know, my way or the highway, I know what I'm doing, I'm older, as opposed to, well, here's how you can think about this and think about that. So one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard in my life, and it wasn't said to me directly, it was at an event where Norman Schwarzkopf was speaking. Hmm. And he said, you know, whether it's a parent, whether it's a in business, he said, when it comes to leadership, people always follow character first, strategy second. And I think we get so fixated on our strategy, not to downplay that, but let's just keep working on the character and, you know, fuel it with the strategy 
whether it's parenting, business development, leadership of any kind, I think that'll serve us very well. I appreciate that very much. And, and I'd, I'd like to take a moment now and just tell you thank you personally. Thank you for being an inspiration all of these years and for being a, a soldier of education and peak performance and elite level living. So I appreciate you. I'm sure that there are millions out there that also appreciate your work, Duncan. And thanks for coming on the show today. Appreciate that very much too. You can find the show uh, as many of you know and are listening to it right now on iTunes or on Stitcher. Duncan, if someone would like to get in touch with you, is there a preferred method that you like? Obviously, your website and Facebook and LinkedIn and the such, but is there one that, that would be a better way for someone to reach out to you? Well, Mike, first of all, I just want to say uh, right back at you, and I appreciate you being a thoughtful guy and stirring the pot like this and, and, and just being a lightning rod for ideas and proven strategies. So thank you for what you do as well. This has been a pleasure. In terms of connecting with me, I, I think the, the tip of the spear there would have to be LinkedIn. Anybody could start there. Just look for me, Duncan McPherson. I should pop right up. Or go to ParetoSystems.com to our blog. That's where we just consolidate all of our stuff. So either of those would be great. And I'll make sure to put a link to this podcast on our LinkedIn community too, Mike. Oh, I appreciate that very much. I will tell you too, listeners, the YouTube channel is just awesome. The from the field videos that Duncan is producing and putting out there are full of content, very entertaining, and I'm sure you'll love them. And that brings us to our time here. Thanks again for coming on, Duncan. We'll talk, we'll be in touch, and we'll talk again soon. And with that, thanks for listening. And as always, be awesome. Thank you for listening to this actionable podcast. We also post from the field videos weekly on Duncan's LinkedIn and Pareto Systems YouTube channel. And we post everything we do on our homepage at paretosystems.com. Make it a great day.